Hello and welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Peter Constantian. And I'm Court Green. And this week we have uh, special guests with us today. Uh, we're interviewing Christina Esme and Sheriff Greg Christopher. And uh, this is a really special interview. We're excited to be here. And we're just going to give each of them a chance to introduce themselves uh, before we get started. And Christina, I wonder if you would go first. Hi, my name is Christina Esme, and I am the Community Relations Specialist for the Haywood County Sheriff's Office. I have been active in community relations since birth. Um, I attended a fairly large Methodist church my whole childhood in the Midwest, and I was always there with my grandmother anytime the doors were open. And as I grew and matured into an adult, that passion for just our neighbors stuck with me and it moved into a career in community relations for the gaming hospitality industry and now I'm here to support our local sheriff and deputies and just make stronger ties in the community in which we live and support. I am also a cradle Methodist from the Midwest so uh, this is really cool so where in the Midwest are you from? Uh, Fort Dodge Iowa. Okay yeah I grew so, up in Rochester Minnesota. Oh okay so. yeah same winters. All right so, yeah, yeah definitely well thanks for being with us today Christina. It's a pleasure. And Greg I hope you'd uh, introduce yourself uh, you maybe don't need an introduction but we, we want to hear what you have to say. Sure absolutely thank you first of all for both you gentlemen uh, doing what you do in the community We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but uh, hey, what a blessing both of you guys are to to our folks here in Haywood County. Uh, my name is Greg Christopher. I'm the sheriff uh, here in Haywood. I have uh, been the sheriff eight years now and uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time uh, as, as the sheriff. All right, so Peter's favorite game to play on this show, he hasn't said that it's his favorite, but he brings it up a lot. My favorite game is to put people on the spot and do asinine stuff that they don't expect. And usually it's theologically controversial. Not planning to do that today. But Peter's favorite game, again in my opinion, is to ask people, and it's fun and I love it, what street did you grow up on? And what's the other question? What street did you grow up on? And what, what was it like growing up there? Uh, and I want to include us in this. So... I'm going to pick a different street because I grew up on three or four different streets. And and I'm going to talk about some of the things that happened when we lived there. But we're going to go around uh, reverse NASCAR style, which is the North Carolina way of saying clockwise. And uh, I'll go ahead and start, and then we'll throw it to you, and then you and you. And the reason I'm starting is not because I'm a megalomaniac that loves myself. It's because... I think it's fair for y'all who haven't done this before to see one of us go. And that just made the most sense to me. Okay. So one of the streets that I grew up on was not really a street. It was a long driveway. And it was called Hawks Prey Drive because a year after we got there, they were like, okay, rural route people, you have to name your streets because our fire trucks can't find you. And so we did. And so I grew up there. We moved there when I was 10. And one until we were 18, I moved to college and never came back to Mooresville. That's just the way that things happen. So one of the things I remember, I don't like to talk, to think too much about my time there. So this didn't happen on that street. It was just while we lived there. And the reason is because then I, my brother died last year. I get sad when I think about those things. So we're not going to talk about that on the air. But one of the things that did happen while we lived there but not on that street is at a... A uh, irreconcilable difference with the principal at the 
school that I was going to, and so I had to get out of there. And my, uh, uh, you want to say more about that, Court? Well, I can maybe if you want to. Uh, his career followed my academic career. So, like, by the time I got to high school, he was the, the principal at the high school. We were we were together a lot. But when I was ten, I was in whatever grade you're in when you're ten, actually nine. Um, I was in the fourth grade and the. I got a, a hall pass, and the hall pass was like a laminated. You know what? I'm going to forget the other story I was going to and just tell this one. The hall pass that the teacher gave me in the fourth grade. Are you 10 in the fourth grade? Well, I was in the fourth grade. Anyway, um, was just a laminated piece of paper. And we we're in this school that, that was had been around since like the 40s or something, the 30s. I don't know. Anyway, um, and I, I, I go to the urinal that's like from, you know, eye level all the way to the floor, and I, I, I put the hall pass on the back of the urinal, and I guess the caulk had long since disappeared, and it slipped down behind it. And I go back to class, and the teacher's like, where's the hall pass? I don't know. I mean, it fell behind the toilet. Impossible! <laughs> so then he, she sends me to the principal's office, and I'm not very happy about this, but I'm, I don't... What am I going to do? So I'm not going to say his name, but the principal uh, goes and says, well, I don't believe that it's back there. I don't believe it could have fallen back there. I'm like, what do, what do I want with a hall pass? I guess they're thinking I'm going to sell them. I don't know. So he goes and gets like a big wooden square hall pass from the office or from some other classroom. And he's like, look, it won't go. It's a laminated piece of paper. It'll go. It'll, it'll go anywhere. And so I'm angry about this. I then go to a private school for a while, and then I'm homeschooled for two years, and then I get back into the school system. The story I was originally going to tell happens when we were at that private school, and it was how my love of hot sauce was born. And I had never really had hot sauce, and then I said a bad word, and that this. Christian private school they just poured hot sauce on my tongue but it backfired which I think is horrible by the way but it backfired because I discovered then that I loved hot hot sauce and so I just would keep cussing get back to the the, the we go back into the school system in middle school this same principal ends up the principal of my high school and like almost the same exact thing happens like you know, he had disagreed with the fact that the hall pass could fit behind the urinal. And so the next scene in the story is that we get to high school and a doctor prescribes me some kind of, I don't even know what, and says, you, you can't participate in, in weight training or PE because you'll fall asleep. And I was like, okay. So I fall asleep in, in PE. And they send me to the principal's office. There he is again. And he says, I disagree. I said, well, it's the doctor's note. He says, I disagree with the doctor. I said, but you're not a doctor. He said, but I disagree. And I got suspended again. So anyway, that really, the whole story was about the hot sauce. I'll probably edit the rest of it out. But uh, it's interesting how that that principal followed me throughout my academic career. I'm surprised he didn't end up the president of the Gardner-Webb while I was there or something <laughs> like that. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Christopher uh, grew up on Pigeon Road. Pigeon, Pigeon Road is uh, is US 276. Uh, if you travel out of Waynesville, uh, as you are driving toward uh, the community of Bethel, uh, my family 
owns and still still owns a farm and uh, a uh, produce uh, stand, I guess would be the best way to call it, uh, there in the Francis Cove community. And so I, I remember growing up, uh, we, we were uh, not, not extremely poor, but we grew up, uh, we, we grew up in a time where everything that you had meant something to you. And uh, uh, my family, like I said, they, they all farmed and that was the way that we made the living. And uh, so uh, we had to uh, work in the fields. Uh, there was not a whole lot of uh, leisure time because we was either preparing for another crop or we was in the middle of uh, taking a crop and doing something with a crop to be able to provide for the winter for us and to include raising a lot of tobacco. And uh, so my childhood was a lot of work, uh, but, and I remember I rode bus 52 and on bus 52, nearly all of those kids that rode the bus were in the same situation I was in, which meant hey, you dreaded going home because as soon as you got home, you had to get off the bus, change clothes and go straight to work. Yep. And, uh, but in the same breath now, at 59 years old, I look back at that time, and that was probably, except for my relationship with Christ, has molded my life more than anything else. And that was, it provided me with a work ethic that I've never forgotten, that I think about and go back to on a daily basis. So I'm so thankful to have grown up in that environment, although at the time it was not fun whatsoever, at least in my way of thinking as, uh, as, a, as a child. So for our Midwestern friends, tobacco is Southern for tobacco. Gotcha. I grew up calling it tobacco. As well. <laughs> I was a little bit confused at first, but I, I, I caught on. Crack that code, did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Sheriff Christopher, I want to come back to your relationship with Christ, which you mentioned. Um, we'll uh, continue with our, our little game here, but I, I do want to circle back around to that and hear a little bit more about how that began for you. Okay. Uh, my name is Peter Constantian. Again, I grew up on Northern Valley Drive in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Rochester, Minnesota is is well-known around the country because it's where the Mayo Clinic is located. So if you've ever heard of that, uh, that place. My friend's parents were, all, were usually doctors. Uh, my mom was not, though. Uh, uh, she, she worked as a social worker in a federal prison that we had in Rochester that was specifically focused on uh, mentally ill uh, inmates and other folks who um, had serious medical conditions since we were close to the hospital to provide care for them. And so that I grew up kind of hearing about her job but never being able to go to take your child to work day for obvious reasons. Yeah. So, uh, but Northern Valley Drive uh, was uh, very suburban, even though Rochester wasn't big enough to have suburbs. Um, it had sort of like the uh, uh, two-car garage. I had a mini bike 
that my stepdad like the little motorcycles yeah the little motorcycles and i would tear up the backyard with that and we didn't have a big yard but i would like make a circle around the house and uh until one summer i was out visiting my my dad and then i came home and it was it was mysteriously gone and i think my mom had something to do with that trying to keep me safe so that was uh that was a little bit of my my childhood growing up um and good memories there christina hi yeah um like i mentioned before uh i am from fort dodge iowa and the street i grew up on was 1642 11th avenue north um fort dodge was a pretty small town we had a target and a jc penny and not much else but what we did have and what i do love uh, the memories of is just standard city blocks so i really felt like I was just the king of my block. Mm. Like I just remember getting on my bike and then just like riding the block over and over and over again, stopping off in like different neighbors' homes. And a lot of our the population of Fort Dodge was older, and I was an only child, so I was really everybody's grandchild. And so I would always just come in and get snacks from door to door. So it was always Halloween in my life. Um, my constant trick or treating, and one of my favorite. Uh, tricks that I would love to play as a kid in the summer and looking back on seems a little dangerous but we used to have trees along all the lanes and the sidewalks in town in the residential areas and I would climb up in the summer nights um, top of the trees and I would catch lady not ladybugs excuse me lightning bugs and I would smear them on my face and arms and bodies and why like the elderly couples were just going for their nice leisurely walks in the evenings I would jump down from the trees and just give them a shock of their life and it was really my favorite pastime until my grandma was finally like you you have to stop you're gonna give someone a heart attack how many bugs did you kill oh my gosh like I would just sit up there just rub them all over so I just look like some crazy feral child and for those that can't see is I have very large curly hair so it was always like tree branches and leaves and then just glowing dead bugs stuck to my face as wow. i descended at dusk onto my unsuspecting elderly neighbors that is quite the image so, that's yeah. amazing she's my new favorite, favorite <laughs> <Hamilton> <laughs> County resident. Dang, i wish i fun. had i wish i had thought about that as a kid that seemed well okay so i i think i probably well uh, the the lightning bugs, you know, I, I grieve for them. Yeah, but. oh, it was a, it was a genocide every summer night. <laughs> uh, let's circle back to um, to faith in 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 our early experiences, and, and Greg, you'd mentioned uh, how your relationship with Christ has been really uh, influential for you, and I wonder if you would share with us what where that got started, or what your earliest memories are of either faith or church or spirituality and, and how that's formed you sure thank you uh, that I love to talk about my faith and I love to talk about uh, uh, my role as the sheriff uh, as it uh, as it is interwoven and interlocked uh, with my spiritual life and uh, I'll begin by saying that uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and uh, I surrendered uh, my heart and life to him many years ago. I was born and raised in a family that believed in Christ, that believed the Bible as, as it is written. And uh, they, uh, they made sure that uh, me and my sister 
understood that as well. And so uh, as, as I've gotten older, my faith has only gotten stronger because I see the things that Christ has done, is doing, and continues to do in my life. But not only my life, but now that I have uh, had an opportunity to be the sheriff in this county for eight years, I have, uh, in my way of thinking, I, God gave me this opportunity to, and because he did, I need to do something with this. Mm. And so uh, I, I do need to be, uh, as the chief law enforcement officer in Haywood County, I, I, I do need to do this job per se as law enforcement, but I need to tie in with it that daily walk of faith. And I want to be an example of Jesus' hands and feet. Mm. I want to be that person that has empathy for people that need help. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I do my daily reading and my Bible study, I spend a lot of time uh, each day, especially in the morning, uh, praying and with devotions because I know that I'm going to need that as part of my strength to get through this day for the role that God has has given me. And I, I do not want to stand before him on judgment day knowing that he gave me an opportunity to be the sheriff in this county and not do something really good with it. Mm -hmm. So I have worked and I'm going to continue to work until the day that I walk out of here uh, to proclaim Christ, but to also try my very best to be that, that uh, example that I feel that he wants and needs me to be Mm -hmm. to 63,000 people that live here. So you, you've spoken a lot about how the faith side helps shape the law enforcement side, and I think that's great. But what about the reverse? How have the things you've seen as the top cop and before that other roles in law enforcement shape your faith? Because the things that we see in life and the things that happen to us often shape our belief systems, including our faith. Great question, Court. I, I believe that uh, me being in this role that I'm in now, but uh, not only this role, but in, in role with the Highway Patrol for 30 years before that, I believe that uh, I have saw that people need hope. And I see in law enforcement an opportunity for us to give people hope. And I don't like for law enforcement to just be looked upon as as a way to have somebody pick up the phone and call and have a issue quelled or have a uh, situation where we just come out and try to fix their problems. I want us to 
be those hands and feet I want of Jesus. I want us to give people some hope. And so uh, that I think that my spirituality and the way that the Holy Spirit speaks to me whenever that I deal with people has helped me in many ways to mesh the law enforcement along with my uh, along with my uh, faith mm-hmm. and my walk at the same time. I hope that answers that uh, in some way. Up. You talked about um, trying to find ways to give people hope and uh, and seeing in your experience how empathy is so important. And I wonder if you can remember um, any specific examples that you want to share with us of where you've had the opportunity to do that in your time as sheriff and also kind of what's on your heart now um, as far as uh, what what you feel like you need to be doing today and in the, in the next couple of years okay. to provide that hope. Uh, I want to begin by saying that God has has just really done huge amounts of work here in our county, here at the sheriff's office, and here in our detention center. We went from having one church service a week here in the jail for our inmates to now Per capita, we have the largest jail ministry in the entire state of North Carolina. Over 700 people that live in our county has actually gone through our safety training and has now earned the, the, the badge or the ID card, so to speak, uh, to be able to come in and to give people that hope. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, until COVID hit, we had uh, we had ministry in our jail seven days a week, as many as three times a day, for people to hear about Christ, to hear about uh, different things that would help them in their life, uh, if they would just accept that and uh, start working toward what Christ tells us in the Bible. Um, We also, uh, in the detention center, uh, we we had our uh, different classes that we we have, that uh, we have our NA class, we have our AA class, we have our peer support specialists who are working. And those folks, although we have had to really slow down the amount of jail ministry because of COVID, we still have our two peer support specialists that are embedded in the jail that give classes and they give hope to these inmates on a daily basis. Also, we utilize the Pathways Center. Anyone who wants to leave from the situation that they're in, once they get released from our jail, they can go over to the Pathways Center. They have a place to stay. They have a place to start uh, making, uh, making a better life for themselves. And the Pathways Center has a huge amount of 
programs along with uh, different ways of help to be able to reach people who need that support, but they have to want that support. Just like people who leave our facility now at our detention center, if, if they have made up their mind that they won't help, we can help them. But it's that situation where you have to mentally be ready to get and receive that help. But so, so that, that is, uh, th that's what we have done and that is what we continue to do. A quick word on Pathways. Um, we're big fans. In fact, right now, the Pathways food truck, which is called Holy Cow, um, is setting up in the Canton First Baptist parking lot. So oh, if yeah. you're in Canton on Thursdays at lunchtime, support the Holy Cow food truck. All the money that's really raised goes to Pathways. And Greg, I'm new to this county, but uh, from meeting with the other pastors in the area, I quickly heard the, their side of the story of Pathways, which involves you. Um, and uh, everyone's really proud of that that center and uh, the work that, that, that they see the collaborative work that you've been a part of. But I wonder if you would give us your side of the story. How did that come about? Um, the Pathways Center, you know, we've, it's almost a legend now. So I want to hear, uh, from you what how that developed okay I'll, I'll tell this story quickly um, one day I had been the sheriff for a very short period of time and I was walking from our jail office back over to my office across our lobby and I noticed that there was two young men who I had just saw the day before in our jail that was standing out on the sidewalk uh, under our awning that had been released. So I stopped and walked outside to speak with them. And I just entered into a conversation with them about, hey, what are you guys gonna do now? What's going on with you? Where, where are you going? Um, and the conversation quickly turned to these young men had no place to go. They had burnt their bridges with their families so they their families did not want them to come back into the community. They had absolutely nothing but the clothes on their back. And as I'm standing there talking to them, I, I, I look out across our yard here at the sheriff's office. And at that time, what has now turned into the Pathways Center was the old Department of Corrections facility and there was five buildings sitting there, all dilapidated, falling in basically, really in need of repair. And the Holy Spirit just quickened my heart about how that could possibly be somewhere that we could use to house people like that, that really truly needed a place to go and if they didn't have that place to go, I knew that they'd end up right back in our facility, in our detention center. So I reached out to some pastors who had really started to get involved with our jail ministry. 
and then I reached out to our county commissioners and we started looking at our recidivism rate mm -hmm. we started looking at the overcrowded numbers that we were seeing inside our jail and we were able to partner with many churches to include my home church which is New Covenant Church in Clyde uh, at that time uh, Pastor Nick Honerkamp was was our lead pastor he just happened to be over the Haywood County sh homeless shelter but the homeless shelter at the time only ran for six months out of the year mm -hmm. and so he was working real hard to try to find another place for the homeless simply because the location that they had been in for the last couple of three years prior to that had told them that they were going to have to find another place because the state of North Carolina at the time would not allow them to renew the lease over at the agriculture center on Raccoon Road. So Pastor Nick and myself, along with many, many volunteers and community leaders, and county leaders got together and we we first of all started praying about this is this something that god wants us to do and as we prayed about this uh, we started going ahead and moving forward and god's hand showed up greatly on this facility um, it has been a very costly endeavor to be able to house people uh, we have uh, we have worked long and very very hard and the staff and the board of directors there now is fantastic um, they have a heart after God and after people who need help yeah. and so this has this has turned into a a real testimony of what God can be and what God can do in a community if we will allow him to mm -hmm. but there again it has to be about the people we're trying to help and not us and if we can continue with that kind of mindset the people in Haywood County uh, can do anything yeah yeah uh, so speaking of continuing with that kind of uh, direction and, uh, and and trying to to in many ways, yeah, to continue to invite people to that kind of collaboration as a county. You have mentioned to us your plans of retirement, and uh, I wonder if you wanted to say more about that. Um, it seems like whatever happens, that whoever comes next is going to have some pretty big shoes to fill. Do you want to? <laughs> hey, well, anything that has happened here, to God be the glory, uh, for sure. Uh, now I, I gotta feel God's shoes. I Come could, on. yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, so I am gonna retire in in two years uh, at the end of this term, uh, if if God wills for that to happen. And and I, I have really, really sought His face for for uh, what's next for me. Um, I'm sure it's going to be ministry of some kind. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to that in some way. I just don't know what that is, but I want to continue to help people. Yeah. Uh, I, I say this uh, with all sincerity, uh, God's hand has been on my life in a tremendous way. 
and he has afforded me so many opportunities to do things for him and I want to continue to do that and follow that path of helping people until that uh, I just can't do that any longer. Well, that really ties in so with our scripture for the week. And every week, Court and I try to pull in something from the lectionary text. These are scriptures that are appointed for us week to week. Um, and we read, we're not bound to preach on these. We're not even bound to use them on our podcast. But we like to tie that in because it's scriptures that many Christians are reading every week. And we were reading from Second Kings this week. And there was a scripture that came up that really reminded us of you. Um, and, I, and I hope that you'll take this as a compliment. Uh, this is a story about Elijah and his successor, Elisha, and the, the kind of interaction that happened between them just before Elijah is called onward and upward. So if you'll allow me to read this, uh, I'll just read these first 12 verses. It's kind of a fun story of Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, Now the Lord was going to take Elijah up to heaven in a windstorm, and Elijah and Elisha were leaving Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went down to Bethel. A group of prophets from Bethel came out to Elisha. These prophets said to Elisha, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Elisha said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. So Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went to Jericho. The group of prophets from Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know, but don't talk about it. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here because the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So both of them went together. Fifty members from the group of prophets also went along. But they stood at a distance. Both Elijah and Elisha stood beside the Jordan River. Elijah then took his coat, rolled it up, and hit the water, and the water was divided in two. Both of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Let me have twice your spirit. Elijah said, You've made a difficult request. If you can see me when I'm taken from you, then it will be yours. But if you don't see me, it won't happen. They were walking along, talking, when suddenly a fiery chariot and fiery horses appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went to heaven in a windstorm, and Elisha was watching. And he cried out, Oh, my father, my father, Israel's chariots and its riders. When he could no longer see him, Elisha took hold of his clothes and ripped them in two. The word of the Lord. For the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we loved about that story in connection with, your conversa- with our conversation with you um, is that whoever is going to come after you as sheriff, uh, I'm sure... You know, with so many people who look up to you in this role and things that you've accomplished during your time here, you mentioned a few of them: uh, prison ministry, pathways. They're gonna they're gonna have big shoes to fill, and I think just like Elisha is 
uh, trying to figure out, you know, how can I continue on? Well, maybe if I had twice Elijah's spirit, that would be helpful. I wonder, what do you think the next sheriff will need in order to do well in this in this role and to continue kind of in in the way of really using empathy, really focusing on helping people and giving people hope. What's that next sheriff going to need in order to be successful? The first thing that he'll need, Peter, is Christ. But without a doubt, if he does not have Christ in his life and he does not live by the book that you just read from, and he does not make that his life, and it's not his life, he's going to have a very difficult time because this job is so demanding and there is absolutely no way that I would want to ever walk in here one day without me knowing that I had not called on Christ to be part of my day, to help me make decisions, Mm. to help me to not look at things through Greg's eyes but to look at things through his eyes and to see things through the Holy Spirit's lens and not mine. I have to, he will have to put himself completely aside and look at this from that kind of a perspective. He has to have empathy. He has to have some compassion. He's going to have, he or she is going to have to really lean on the community to help them. They're going to have to lean on having good deputies, good relationships with community to include and very, uh, various, well, uh, very much uh, a relationship with your churches. Mm. I really believe that uh, law enforcement and churches coming together like we have saw occur here in the county uh, has helped tremendously but we also need good community relations with our with our uh, minority groups we we need uh, he's going to have he or she is going to have to work hard at building relationships so uh, there there's going to be a lot to do uh, hopefully, the day that I walk out of here, I will leave this place in, to where that the next person can sit down and be ready to take off without having to do a lot of back work mm. in order to be successful. So in a way, you've, you've kind of summarized Elijah's role in this story. Mm. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But we also have in here someone who's just getting started. And so, Christina, I want you to talk about Elisha's role in this story. Yeah, what, what is it like to be coming into a new place, a new role? You said you transitioned from gamer something. Hospitality and gaming. Sure. But <laughs> I'll tell us what that is, but also... Uh, this is different from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what is it like to be facing new things while at the same time, it's two years away, it's not like it's tomorrow, but thinking about a transition, somebody else moving on. Um, now, you're not coming in to be sheriff, 
but you have one person leaving yeah. while another one's starting. Um, yet. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll kind of break that up into two parts, so I'll probably come back to you for the second part. But for the first part of what does it feel like, um, honestly, I think it feels great. And it feels exciting because I know the sheriff's heart really well. Um, for the, I know his heart for the community, and I know his heart for Christ and the heart for people who he knows and who he doesn't know. And he's done an excellent job of building a team that not only looks like his heart, but looks like the father's heart. And so coming on to that was an extremely exciting opportunity. And even with his retirement on the horizon, from the moment I stepped into this role, I immediately recognized what a special relationship uh, the sheriff's office has with the people of Haywood County. Um, my family is still in the Midwest. My family lives in St. Paul, so I'm very aware of and I'm a minority member, so as a black woman and having family in St. Paul and living in this time, like I'm very aware of the potential relationships that some agencies have with their communities. Mm -hmm. And to come into an agency that has something so completely different and so healthy and so loving mm -hmm. has been nothing short of just exciting mm -hmm. and amazing. And speaking to his legacy, that is something that we're very aware of and that we want to protect and foster. So every day we're coming in and we're having conversations about how can we continue to grow these relationships? How can we continue to keep this looking Christ-like? So regardless of who's in office, it'll still have the Father's heart. That gets me to, so this is a building off of that question, and I want to give Christina and Greg an opportunity both to answer. And that is like, if we can think specifically about the vision for Haywood County, what are some really key features of that? You, you talked about continuing this relationship, but what are, what are your hopes for, for Haywood County? We'll start with you. Uh, Sheriff Christopher, as far as going forward, what Haywood County needs to grow towards, what we need to look towards, what are the major hurdles we need to tackle in the in the future? From from a from an overall county view, I think that we need more industry. Mm -hmm. I think that we need more uh, more better paying jobs. We have got to recruit companies and corporations to come in to help our, our people. Uh, we have got to do a better job at broadband uh, internet. We have got to do a better job with uh, some of the infrastructure of water and sewer and that sort of thing. Just from a overall standpoint, as I see this from that 10,000 foot view and listening to our other county leaders, from a sheriff's office perspective, we have got to get a grip, we've got to get a real grip on our methamphetamine problem. But law enforcement cannot do that by itself. We have got to work with rehabilitation. We've got to work with our court system. This has to be something that everybody has some skin in the game. And right now, we don't, everybody's not, everybody's not in the game. We still have way too many spectators. It's very easy to be blissfully ignorant. Oh, it is. It really is, my friend. It sure is. And, and so 
what what we need is for our communities to include our churches our churches have got to get on board with us to help us with re- rehabilitation issues with homeless issues mm-hmm. with uh, with better housing uh, and you know we used to not have a, a, a social services it used to be the churches that came together and helped the people in the community but nowadays Unfortunately, we have sat on the sidelines until it's got so big that it's really, really hard for us. Um, Another thing that we've got to really work on for here in Western North Carolina is a mental institution. We have got to have, we have got to have somewhere to take somebody who is mentally handicapped that is creating problems in a community or with a family and be able to get these people help and we you know, we have got to, you know our, our uh, behavioral health unit at the hospital here in Haywood County they do a phenomenal job but there's only so many beds mm-hmm. it's tiny. So it, it really is so we have got to work on that piece because if we could get the people that need rehabilitation and need mental health where they need to be and use the churches and our court system to help us from a law enforcement standpoint, we could start to solve some of these problems. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take everybody working toward the problem instead of just passing the problem to the next group. Well, let's talk about that. So... Would it be possible, I'm sure it would, but how would you recommend moving forward if local leaders and churches wanted to follow the same model that was used to bring us pathways to get us a mental health program and or institution? Because I agree there's a humongous need, you already knew that, but... Would following the same model that y'all used to bring about pathways, I say y'all because I wasn't here yet, work in doing a facility such as the one you just described? I'm sure that it would. Um, Years ago, we lost 900 mental health beds at one time, Mm -hmm. just like that. And since that time our jails have become our mental health facilities Mm -hmm. because now if you have somebody who has that mental health issue what else are you going to do with them you know we get the call we go out three or four times in a in a one day period or less and uh, we the the community is looking for law enforcement to do something so if we were able to redirect people from jails to a mental health facility where that this person had inpatient treatment and had and if they needed to be institutionalized that we had a facility that could do that here in western north carolina it would it would 
it would just be phenomenal. Be a game changer. Same way with our rehabilitation. You know, methamphetamine is a real destroyer of people's lives. And unfortunately, we see that every day. The thing about methamphetamine or, or heroin, uh, either one, and that's the, two, that's the two main drugs that we deal with today that we see overdoses and death from. Once you do this kind of drug, one time, you become hooked. Your brain tells you that you must do it again. And it takes but just a couple or maybe three times of doing it, and you become truly an addict. So we have got to have some inpatient facilities that we can send people to and keep them there until that they get better. And the only way to do that is to work with your court system and have the court system order that they go not to jail or not to prison, but to treatment. And right now, we don't have any kind of a drug court here in Haywood County. If you did, you have nowhere to send them. And But if we did, we would not have anywhere so to send them. So let me ask you a follow-up question. What do you say to a person who would who would say, well, we're talking about building an extension to the jail. Yes. There's your answer. Just lock them up. And, and, and see, that is what, you know, what locking them up does is it gets them out of the community's hair for a short period of time. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. Now, let me say this. There is people who needs to be out of sight, out of mind because they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. And for, for those people, we either have to keep them in jail or we need somewhere to get them the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And so right now, there's nowhere else for us to send people We're except to our jail. Is that what's... Oh, a, a, a lot, a lot of mental health issues. Yes. Now we also have people who have been accused of and charged with um, a violent crime, mm -hmm. and so therefore they have a bond that they have to put up, or someone has to put up in order for them to get out of jail. Those are the type of people that if it is a serious uh, issue, if there is victims that are worried about being hurt or worse, then, hey, I think that bond is appropriate and yeah. we, we have to keep them in our facility. But there are a lot of people that if we had these, either a rehabilitation and or a mental health facility for them, we could find, we, we could find some, some hope so speaking of hope I, I just want to give Christina an opportunity to talk I had a before I got into ministry I worked in nonprofit and I had an excellent boss who uh, once I got hired invited me he was like the division head and he invited me into his office and he said you've been here a few weeks a few months and pretty soon everything's gonna look the same to you and then you won't be able to tell me what needs to change and so as somebody who is new to this role, and actually I don't remember how long you've been working here, but um, you have an opportunity to sort of 
have an outsider perspective for a short time until you become part of the organization and, and things start to look the same. Um, what do you hope for as you've come in uh, for Haywood County, for the Sheriff's Department? What do you see as like the opportunities for, for good work here? Um, I, I think what I hope for most is honestly just a continuation and a protection of the relationships that we have. We are in, I honestly cannot stress it enough, how lucky we are as a community to have the relationships that we do within, for our law enforcement and our community and then our minority community, whether that's black, Hispanic, or Filipino. Um, we have, I'm sorry, what was that? Native American. Native American, yeah. So we have a wonderful relationship here with the sheriff's office. And even as I've gone out into the community, like you said, I've only been with with us since the 11th, so still very new, the 11th of January. Um, and even as I've gone out into the community and met with community partners, I asked them the same question. Mm-hmm. How can we be better? How mm-hmm. can we be a better partner to you? What can we do to make our community safer, happier, and stronger? And I, as an outsider coming in, have been blown away by this the sameness of everyone's response is we have a great thing Mm. like there's like we really we can always grow and but right now we have a great thing right now your people are super engaged like the community that we have is so happy with our relationship and even our nonprofits are so happy with the relationship so as um he continues on into his ministry Mm. that my hope is that we just continue to get better and better and better and not lose anything but just grow Mm. Something I heard you say over and over again, not just this time, but last time we, we had you your voice on the show, was relationship. Yeah. I don't, I've, I've given you my phone so you could read the verses, so I'm just going to go from memory here. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you'll notice in the in the verses that we read earlier from Second Kings is the importance of relationship between Elijah and Elisha, and you know Elijah says, "I got to go do this." Elijah, Elisha's like, "No, you're not. I'm going to be mm-hmm. with you." Um, and it, it, it often it's the human side of us thinks when we're the new ones okay my turn now you get out of the way I'm doing this yeah. but the thing that held them together and made Elisha want to continue Elijah's work and want to hang on to him and then the memory of him as he continued in that work was this special relationship that mm-hmm. they had where does um We've talked about legacy in here, mm-hmm. but where, what does relationship, not just with individuals, but with organizations as well, play in to our abilities to continue work after we ourselves are removed from certain roles? Um, I feel, is was that directed at me? It's directed at whoever. Okay, you carry on. Uh, I feel that relationship is almost the pinnacle. Like it is the point which everything else circles around. From regardless of the agency that we're in, um, when you are, I'm not gonna say in community work, when you are a member of a community, relationships are the most up, like the most important thing. I was with a nonprofit, the 30th Judicial Alliance, uh, just this week, and one of their members had a beautiful comment where it was, uh, We just want everyone to remember that we are neighbors, not strangers. And I thought, Wow, like. God, I see you. Like, I hear you in that because that is the truth and that is the pinnacle of relationships. So I think it was really well done. I mean, it's just amazing the relationship Elijah and Elisha had. But however, though, I was actually thinking of how it applies to us is how Sheriff Christopher has honestly mirrored 
um, more of Jesus's footprint with it, where he said, go out and be disciples. I've been with our organization for two, three weeks, and I have the message is go out and be a disciple. Go out and find out how we can love more. Go out and share, show our heart and just pass that message on. And again, like that's all relationally based. And as we move forward and um, as we continue to protect his legacy and someone else is in the new role, it's still gonna be relational. The heart of this office is relational law enforcement and that we are members of this community and we are in relationship with you. And I will say relationship is the foundation of everything that we do, everything. Uh, whenever I go and speak uh, about leadership to, uh, different, uh, to different organizations, I don't really talk about leadership as much as I talk about relationship. Because mm. if I have a relationship with you, then you and I can work through anything that, that, that occurs whether it's something good or bad, at the end of the day, because of the relationship, we'll be able to get the work done. Yeah. So, just uh, uh, j just saying that uh, hey, my, my, my motto, if I think about leadership, I, I immediately think about relationship. Maybe a good place to end. Well, thank you, Sheriff Christopher. Thank you, Christina. Uh, Great for to meet you, Christina for your taking the time to get to know us and to build these relationships which we do by just listening to one another by sharing stories uh, i feel like we have uh, built our relationship today and i'm so grateful that you've um, shared the time so that we can uh, share this story these stories with our community and give uh, our whole community a better sense of, of where where you see us going as a community together so thank you so much uh, Court, do you have any last words for us? I also want to say thank you to not only Greg and Christina, but also to Peter. And I love our time together on the show. I want to ask the, the listener to look into some of the issues that Sheriff Christopher has talked about. You may not be in Haywood County, but I'll guarantee you there's similar issues in your community. And see how we can get involved and work towards reducing prison recidivism by getting involved and helping people. Maybe when they before they go into prison or maybe after they come out so uh, there is something you can do it is a community effort we have to maintain those relationships for pastor potluck i'm court green and i'm peter constantian and we will join you as soon as we record one of these again <laughs>